Hello, and thank you for joining me for Podcast in the Woods. I'm your host, Boomer, and it is time to get scurry. From the middle of nowhere to your ears, let's do this. Every week we'll look at a couple of films and determine whether they're maybe so good that they are groovy or so bad that they're trying to kill us. Maybe they'll fall somewhere in between. Now this podcast is going to tackle the heavy questions. Not what's the meaning of life or how this is all going to end, what should I be doing, but should we watch? (laughs) With that in mind, let's begin. Hey, I swallow your soul, I swallow your soul, I swallow your soul. (laughs) Swallow this. It is an Asian haunted house, cursed kind of thing, double feature on the docket today. Our first movie is a little hidden gem from acclaimed director Kiyoshi Kurosawa. But Boomer, how can acclaimed director have a hidden gem? It just, that doesn't make any sense. That's a good question, listener. Sweet Home, now not the Korean series on Netflix, but the batshit insane 1989 wild ride from Japan. And yes, it is that Kurosawa Cure and the masterpiece Cairo, one of my favorite movies, or Pulse as some people know it. Now what the hell happened to this movie? The distributors are weird that way. For instance, when uh, I was younger, I went to Blockbuster and, and bought a copy of Godzilla 1985 that, again, at the time didn't have a wide release. I paid $82 for that. Now, I know that's, that, that's kind of crazy, but it's just the way that some of that stuff happened. We didn't get a lot of, of those things in Japan. Sometimes they didn't get a wider release. Maybe they didn't think that they, that there was an audience for it or, or whatever may be the case. And this, kind of, this film kind of falls into all that. But here's hoping one day this movie gets a proper Blu-ray like it should. You heard it here, Mr. Kurosawa. Because I know, I know he's out there listening. Very big fan, big fan of the show. I've got your back. And if you like, I can get you on the show one of these days, and I promise you we'll make that push. It's easy to see why in 1989 that this didn't get much backing. Kurosawa wasn't nearly as famous or well-regarded, so the studio, I'm sure, got a pretty good deal for his services. And this film was to be a tie-in to a Capcom, yes, that Capcom, the Street Fighter game company, on the Famicom, which was a, the Japanese Nintendo of the same name, but that game was never released in America either, which really sucks. Actually, that game is is really good. Man, Japan gets all the good stuff. We get all, what do we get? We get Back to the Future and Dirty Harry and, you know, that, that, that kind of junk and all that was just, that was terrible. I would have loved to have been though in, in that meeting. Hey, uh, we have this horror game for the Famicom and uh, we really want kids to buy it. What are our options? Uh, well, we could do commercials. No, 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 no commercials, that's old news. Well, how about we release a toy line? That's, that, that's pretty big, that draws the kids in. Toys, are you kidding me? That would take away from game sales. What about a fast week partnership? No, goddammit. Think bigger. Think broader. I've got it. Movie time. That's great, boss. Like a family-friendly picture to reach a wide audience. Now fuck that stupid shit. It's gotta be scary as hell and over the top and gory. 
It's got to be an R-rated ghost story. And I've got the perfect director. Get that guy who just directed Kondagawa Pervert Wars. <laughs> I uh, don't know what they were thinking. Nailed it! Though my uh, childhood is, is, is cheering right now. And who knew that this would be the beginning of a great career. It was by chance that I came across uh, Street Home. Oh my goodness, uh, probably about 10 or 15 years ago. Probably about 15 years ago. I've been known to go to swap meets and trying to find games and movies, other useless but priceless stuff, uh, pieces of entertainment, that kind of thing, and I just happened across it at this table. Uh, this guy was selling all these all these DVDs, and my eyes instantly fell upon the weird little Asian flick in the corner, and my full-on horror obsession was, was in full swing, so I, I scooped that right off the table. And I started off like most everyone else with uh, Ringu, uh, the Ring remake, the Grudge remake and and was just absolutely hooked and began looking for like more and more things, more and more titles, more obscure things, uh, stuff that I hadn't seen before. And thankfully, video stores at this time caught on and began flooding Blockbuster and what was the other one? Hollywood uh, Hollywood Video. That's that that's it. With titles under the horror extreme title, though most certainly uh, most of them really weren't that extreme. They were just different from the stuff that we were getting the normal Hollywood fare. And let me tell you, it was the best five bucks that I've spent at a flea market. Okay, I've spoiled it already. But Sweet Home has been a personal favorite of mine and has even made its way into my top ten favorites of the 1980s. Yes, it's that damn good. You got The Thing, Aliens. I know some people don't classify Aliens as a horror movie, but but I do. The thing, Aliens, The Fog, The Shining, and I promise you right there with it in my top 10, it may have been a, be at number 10, but at number 10 is Sweet Home. It's, it's fucking fantastic. Well, thanks, Boomer. Uh, now we can go eat a sandwich or shave the cat or mow the lawn or do whatever else we need to do. Now stick around, my friends, because this is one of those what-the-hell-did-I-watch kinds of experiences. So the IMDb synopsis is, a TV production crew are making a documentary about the infamous painter Ichiro Mamiya. 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 Pretty sure I got that. I got that wrong. That's, that's terrible. When they start filming at his own home, they come under attack by the ghost of the painter's wife. Sure. Standard stuff right there, right? Uh, no. Forgive my pronunciations of uh, names and things. I love cinema from this part of the world, but my goodness, am I terrible at it? You'll get to, you'll you'll find that out. Now the film opens with shadow puppets over the credits for some reason. Foreshadow. <laughs> uh, yes, yes it is. Quickly, the cannon fodder, um, the characters are introduced. You have. Mr. Kazoza and his daughter, Emi. Kazoza is the producer, the director, something for this film crew. Uh, Taguchi is the camera operator, the equipment man, and all-around leery guy. Akiko is the producer, the director, uh, 
something else important for this film crew. And Asuka is the star of the program. Now, Kazuza goes to try to access the Mamiya, Mamiya Mansion for the purposes of the documentary on the reclusive artist's frescoes. The caretaker and his assistant, and again, it's it's not real clear what they actually are. A caretaker, whether they're a mayor, I mean, they're kind of interested in the well-being of this town, so I'm pretty sure that they're not just a the caretaker, but it really never goes into who these people actually are. But anyway, I'll, I'll just call them the caretaker and the assistant. They're hesitant at first because of this curse on the place, but then decide, hey, what the hell? If there is no curse, it will bring publicity to the town, this documentary that they're doing. And if there is, these people all die. And that's great. Think of the tourism. And I, I don't know what kind of tourism they're go, like going for, besides ghost hunters or that. I don't know. But it's just not very nice, if you ask me. However, Kazoza, it's uh, best if you just do the base amount of research before you go to a place, right? This abandoned house or abandoned building that you're going to go and, and film stuff in, you might want to look into it just a little bit. Beautiful scenery, check. Nice artwork, check. A horrible curse, nope, not going. And cheery music plays as they, they make their way to the house, to the forest, with absolutely no danger on the horizon. The set design of the mansion is it's just absolutely incredible, bringing to mind somewhat and uh, in the style of the gothic horror movies of old. It really lends to a feeling of isolation and otherworldliness just right from the very start. Uh, Taguchi and Kazoza bumble their way in and the exploration begins. As they set up the first shot, there are strange sounds and crumbling architecture nearly kills one of our heroes. It's okay. House is always moaning like that. I promise you, nothing spooky is going on here. Everybody's fine. It's just... It's just the wind. I love that trope. It's just the wind. Oh, there's a fucking knife-wielding maniac outside. No, it's, uh, it's just the wind. It wouldn't be a curse movie, though, if, if one of the characters didn't immediately desecrate a shrine so they could smash open a door with it. Oh my goodness. Every time. It's just every time. But hey, at least we have the lights on now, right? I mean, that that's that's the important thing. They have desecrated shrines and activated curses, but hey, I can charge my iPhone. Amy plays a bit of, of matchmaking in the next scene with her dad and Akiko, who is actually a really strong character with a lot of depth. Meanwhile, the, the rest of the crew members go to work restoring the prized fresco, and at this point, I'm going to be honest, I actually have no idea what a fresco is, and I didn't bother to look it up, and I was scolding Kazusa earlier, and I just realized I keep saying fresco, and all I know is it's a painting on a wall. Maybe. Maybe I should have done the barest of research. Oh shit, this podcast is cursed. Probably is. Well, nothing to do but uh, carry on, I guess. The other frescoes are revealed of a slightly just more sinister style. You have caskets and furnaces and eyes. Oh my. Okay, we're going to start a drinking game. Every time I make a bad movie, reference pun, just... 
go ahead and, and take a drink. I know that I will, or at least I will be drinking by the end of this. As everyone discusses what this could mean, these, these weird paintings, an axe suddenly drops and nearly ends Kazuza. Chekhov's gun, or, or Chekhov's axe, whatever, whatever you like. I, I, okay, I'm going to stop now, or everyone won't remember what they even downloaded. Oh my goodness. But Taguchi goes over to the corner. Yeah, just 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 prop that up safely right over there. It's not, it's not, it's not a big deal. Yeah, don't, don't put it down. Don't put it away. Don't put it in the closet. Yeah, just prop it up in the corner. I'm sure that that won't have any negative consequences later. Emmy enters in the next scene wearing a dress that belonged to her mother and offers the dress to Akiko. She clearly likes her and, and, want, and they, they want to grow closer. They really have a nice dynamic in this film. And it actually does a really good job of, of character development for what this film is and what it was intended to be. You grow to really like most of them. Uh, well, I guess the ones that you're supposed to anyway. I think the title for the best video game movie has a strong frontrunner. That's right. Yeah, get the fuck out of the way, Resident Evil. Here comes Sweet Home. Nice job, Curacao. I'm moving on. Give me back my baby. I'll uh, I'll let that one hang in the air for just a second. Okay, the hairs are standing up on my arms. Well, Asaka goes all possessed and holy shit, that's not right. Digs up a dead baby, of course, as you do. And then we're treated to a bit of comic relief from gas station owner slash Ghostbuster Mr. Yamamura, or Japanese Jeremiah Johnson, I guess. Asuka naturally flips out after finding her proclivity for corpse excavation, and uh, she hops in the car, drives about 10 feet, and then smashes the thing. I mean, maybe it was the whiskey that I was drinking at the time, but it kills me every time this scene plays. I just absolutely love it. It's so absurd, and it's just so abrupt. Uh, she just speeds away and then instantly just crashes the car. But no, no, the car is done. How are we going to get out of here? The spirit is starting to get stronger as Asuka is still giving out the weird vibes, of course. And the shadows are now on the rampage. And this is where the pace really, really ramps up. Not that the film hasn't been enjoyable so far. It's Like I said, it's it's done a, a lot of character development. Uh, we get actually some, some pretty funny gags here and there. And we're growing to know these people. But this is when the things hit the fan. And gore fans strap in. You are in for a treat. Now, I'm not about to spoil what happens next, but let me just say it is violent as fuck with full-on 80s practical effects. Probably the best kind of effects. Now, the first time I watched, I believe I even let out like a little involuntary, oh my god. This is one of the reasons you pay for admission, folks. Take my money, movie. And oozy goodness is brought to you by the fine people of Capcom. Mr. Yamamura shows up to just basically exposition dump. It's a curse! Dun dun dun! But why? I mean, you're gonna have to watch to find out. The tension builds and momentum drives us to the climax, but not before a musical interlude. Uh, yes, that happens. For no reason at all, Mr. Yamamura spends about three minutes singing. Okay. Now, I guess let's have our ending. And if you thought that you weren't getting something insane, you better think again. And with plenty other crazy along the way with a capital C. Sweet Home is just bonkers.
see it. Do it. You, you, you gotta see this movie. And I, I really can't do justice to, to just like everything that happens in this. The tone is all over the place, from suspenseful to silly, and the right amount of, of heart. It's a roller coaster, but again, roller coasters are pretty fun. And yes, I know everybody's asking, I, I really haven't mentioned it, but this movie is generally scary. There are some scenes that, that got me. Kurosawa uses shadow in some unique ways, and as over-the-top as parts of this movie and, and are there are other parts that are subtly unnerving. It's a haunted house movie with rainy influences. You could see that Kurosawa is wearing those influences right on his sleeve from the angles to the motion to the shadows. It's it's really neat to, to see this movie. Watch Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead and then put this one on and you're going to be blown away. If it was not abundantly clear, find this movie and watch it. Groovy. And finally, the would be complete without talking a bit about Juan. Not the more well-known Juan the Grudge, but the precursor to that one. There were actually two movies and uh, two short films released before The Grudge. And we're going all the way back to the beginning beginning of the feature films anyway, with Juan the Curse. Like I said before, uh, along with most of y'all, I saw the American remake of The Grudge before I saw the Japanese versions. And as my love for Asian horror continued to grow, I went back to check out the others in the franchise. Directed by Takashi Shimizu, whose mentor was the aforementioned Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Goodness, the chains that bind this all together. Now, he helped with all the budget of this film. The IMD synopsis is as follows. A teacher visits the house of one of his students after the boy goes missing, only to have a horrifying excuse for his absence from school. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's not very good. So, uh... His, uh, his absence, was it excused? No. That's, that's a terrible plot synopsis. IMDb, what, what, what are you doing? I put a poll uh, on Twitter, I guess it was a few days ago, to see what your thoughts on the film were. And as no, it was no surprise to me that the majority of the voters had not seen this one. Is there a reason for that? Is The Grudge, which is kind of a a soft reboot or sequel much better, and does this movie suck? Well, time will tell, I guess. Like all Juwan movies, we get a text telling you when a person dies in despair or pain, it just really pisses them off, and they will absolutely grudge you, or curse you. I think that's what Juwan means, anyway. The movie is divided into segments that don't always flow chronologically. It can be confusing, but I absolutely dig it. I love it when a film will mess with your mind like that. It's, it's so much fun. Now, the director is less concerned with a blowing narrative than creating an overwhelming sense of dread by keeping the audience unbalanced. This is playing right in my wheelhouse. I love this. 
it's highly effective because the story, you can't see me, but I'm making air quotes here, the story leaves you feeling shaky. And true to the synopsis, Toshio is the first segment of this movie. And maybe that is the reason, maybe they stop watching after this. A Kobayashi, a teacher, returns home to his pregnant wife, and they discuss the students who, yes, surprise, surprise, has been absent for a few days. He sets out to find out why and discovers the boy home alive. Or is he? And he's alone. Or is he? Yeah, yes, he is. He, he is alone for the moment. Now, one of the tricks Shimizu... I told you. I told you I was going to mess these up. One of the tricks Shimizu used? Shimizu. We're going to go with that. And this, uh, well, he uses it here, but he also continues throughout the runtime is just to keep certain characters and things in the background just out of focus to where you can tell what it is, but there's just something a bit off or a bit different about it. It's, it's very simple, but God, does it lead to some creepy imagery. After screwing around a bit, we are treated to some GTFO action when the segment ends. It is time to get out of there, trust me. Yuki is the next part, and friends Yuki and Kana are studying in Kana's room when her mom comes in. And Kana, right here, kind of acts like a big jerk to her before she leaves. And I, I don't get it. She just seems like such a nice lady. Ghost cats continue to make a bit of racket before Kana reveals just how irresponsible that she is. A feeding rabbits at the school was her responsibility. She was supposed to take care of that. And at this very moment, they are starving to death, so she runs off to feed them. And here's when things really kick off. Yuki tries to listen to some sweet jams on her radio, but it keeps skipping. And I'm not sure if it's because of curses or the fact that Discman's at this time with skipping light breezes. And all you 90s kids know what I'm talking about right now. But the movie wants us to believe that it's the former. Yuki finally turns off the music, and we get the first Juon croaking. My skin, every time I hear it, it does not matter. I have seen these films countless times, probably dozens of times in the film. And I've lost track of how many there actually is. I mean, you've got Jew on the Curse, Jew on the Curse 2, The Grudge, Grudge 2, Grudge 3, Jew, uh, Jew on White Ghost, Jew on Black Ghost. It does not matter. As soon as that sound kicks in, I'm instantly freaked out. Just, uh, why is that so scary? I don't get, but man, that just it instantly affects. Me. I mean, I know. I'm sorry. I need curse practice. At that moment, nope. We are we're out of there. It's time to leave. Time to go. Done. But Yuki turns out to be more afraid of teleporting Ghost Cat than she is of uh, the Death Lady that is in the house. And I think the Ghost Cat's actually actually super cute. Do you have to change litter for ghost cats? If not, then I am sold. That is the perfect pet right now. I want that. But anyway, she heads to Kana's closet, bed thing, which leads to the attic for some reason. And of course, no good thing happens up there during curses. Again, I'm about to butcher this. Mizuo. Mizio is uh, that, that's the next segment, and she was alluded to in the in the last one as Kana's brother's girlfriend, 
Okay, are we all following? Kana's brother's girlfriend. There we go. Mizuo, that, that, oh, again, bleh, that's awful, is looking for him and uh, is stopped by one of the staff. The lights begin to flicker, ghostly footsteps follow, of course. This film is very low budget and it, it does show, but Shimizu is able to use that down-to-earth look to really suck you in, to bring you into that, to make you feel like you're actually uh, a part of that, you're experiencing what's going on. There's very little music, but it only adds to all the visual frights that are happening in this movie. A brief stoppage to the spectral shenanigans ensues, and she thinks about leaving at this time, which I was thinking about leaving probably 10 minutes ago. But, of course, she's afraid of getting in trouble because she was told to wait there. I guess in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't really it doesn't matter whether you stay or whether you go. If you're familiar with the grudge mythology, you know that once you step foot in that house, then you are fucked. But I don't care still. But the teacher said, I'm, I'm leaving. They're going to have to catch me. And again, I don't want to spoil this for, for those that have not seen it, just like we did before. Do not want to spoil these movies overly. Uh, and I hope that you do want to see this one of these days. So I'm going to stick to generalities from here on out. Suffice it to say, though, that uh, the Jew on the curse ratchets up that tension ridiculously high. It's, it's amazing. It continues to build and to build. You think that, okay, in this segment, man, that was, that was phenomenal, but then it, it just keeps topping itself with each passing segment and contains some really holy shit moments until that ending just leaves you feeling unsatisfied in the best possible way. Now, hear me out. Hear me out here. It rips your hope away as like it just begins to crawl to you. It just beats you down. Joan the Curse is still one film that terrifies me to this day. Every single time that I watch it, it gets in my brain and it just absolutely will not leave. It is a film that despite some awkward moments in writing, I will give you that. And one dodgy effect, just one, the rest of it's actually pretty good. It's really, really unlike any experience that I can think of, besides the other films in the series. But other than that, it's, it's, really, it's really one of a kind. The runtime is an hour and ten minutes, so it just absolutely flies by. So should you watch Jew on the Curse? Yes. Yes, you should. Get on it right now top of the watch list. Maybe a controversial opinion, and I have absolutely no shortage of those. Controversial horror opinion. But I actually prefer Jew on the Curse to Jew on the Grudge. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie, and Shimizu does so much with so little in this film. Go check it out right now. Groovy. Well, that's awesome. We did it. Two movies on the groovy list this week. And uh, before I go, I'd like to shout out a couple of people who won a contest for the first episode. They correctly guessed, based on some rather vague clues that I put out there, what I would be covering for the pod. The first is the Good Evening Kitties podcast. They are your aficionados for everything Tales of the Crypt. Go check them out on Twitter, 
find their links, listen to the podcast. They do such a good job at G-E-K podcast. That's at G-E-K podcast. And the man with tons of horror games on Twitter, Evil Reaper, at Phantom underscore Dead One. Every time that I interact with him, man, we have such a good time. So give these two wonderful people a follow. Congratulations to you both and thank you for playing. If you'd like to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at Woods Podcast One. That's at Woods Podcast One. Or you can email the show at podcastinthewoods1 at gmail.com with any questions, comments, whatever you want to do. We can shoot the shit. I'll read it out on the show if you'd like. Until next time, my dudes and deadites out there, stay scurry.